Edge Radio. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Aaron, looking at the positives, spring is in the air, the fish are munching, and we are here, excited to talk about bass fishing on Bass Edge Radio. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, uh, again, kind of looking at the positives and uh, new normalcy is that, you know, it allowed me to my youngest, Malia, age uh, now eight already, got the chance to take her out on the on the water and do a little self-quarantining with nature there and uh, just had a blast. And, you know, that's one of the gifts that I was given. Kurt, I know your tournament schedule has completely been eradicated prior to this. Mine uh, had two events that have had to be rescheduled. But it's also allowed me to not only spend time with like Malia in the boat, but then also really dive off into some of the educational platforms that are out there. You know, yeah. whether it's socially or websites or magazines, you know, there's there's just a lot of information that normally this time of year we don't have that luxury because we're too busy driving. Social's heavy, a lot of things heavy, and uh, personal projects getting taken care of as well. The uh, advent of some downtime has really established some uh, processing of projects being completed that usually get put on the back burner. So uh, that's also been very positive. So it's been a wild time, and uh, we'll continue probably some wild times. And we just keep on rocking and rolling here and keeping it real on the bass fishing front because uh, that's a passion we all love to enjoy and uh, can be excited about. Aaron, talking about being excited about bass fishing and a process of development and new projects we have something special coming up today with megaware and a new product introduction here right through bass edge radio yeah it's been a long time coming we alluded to it a little bit last episode but it's pretty amazing kurt i'll tell you that we were able to keep a secret for uh, as long as what we did and generally i i'm terrible at that last couple years so i'm anxious to unveil that uh certainly it's going to i think be revolutionary with with the sport and ultimately save us money and time increase our time on the water so that's going to be exciting. Well, we have dedicated an entire segment to this new product, and uh, you can check it out at keelguard.com, MegaWare's site with all their products, Flex Step, Skeg Guard, Do-It-Yourself Keel Guard, Pontoon Guard. Uh, there's uh, you know so many great products. Flex Step, that's one of my favorites. I can't forget the Flex Step. So without further ado, Aaron, we are going to get ready to get the inventor and tell everybody about this new MegaWare product in our next segment. But first, y'all hang tight. We've got a great tip brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with MLF Bass Pro Tour Champion, Ot Defoe. My tackle tip would be fishing that crankbait, any crankbait, any point in time, but especially the one that I was using down there to win on Lake Athens. A big tip that really made a difference for me was switching out those treble hooks. Now, it's a Rapala DT-10. It comes with quality BMC hooks, but I really like to upgrade mine to the best possible treble hook out there on the market, and that's the VMC Hybrid Treble. I was using actually a number four on this particular bait, regular shank, and that's a hook that I always go to on my Rapala DT-10s. And take that 9.6, for example. When I landed that fish, it had one hook and the top of its mouth, but that held it, and that's you know, really speaks volumes for just how good of a hook that those VMC hybrid trebles truly are, in my opinion. Great tip, Ot. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. 
First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Inventor and fishing enthusiast Tom Andreas is with us today to reveal an exciting new product from MegaWare. Thanks for being here, Tom. Hey, thanks. It's a real honor to be on the show. Well, Tom, you know, I am excited to hear of the new product from MegaWare. Obviously, you're no stranger to the fact that MegaWare has been a partner, a long supporting partner from day one with Bass Edge Radio, and it continues to amaze me when you look at their existing product set with, of course, with the first do-it-yourself keel protector, the Skeg Pro, the Skeg Guard, the Scuff Buster, the list goes on and on, and now we're adding another one to the family. And I'm anxious to hear about the evolution of your product and why boaters should have several of these. First off, what is the product and the idea behind it? Okay, so the battery guard is basically a suspension system for your battery. And, you know, I just start by saying that, and, you know, we all know that competitive fishing in the marine industry is in an arms race. And my home lake is Lake of the Ozark, and it's arguably the roughest piece of water in the United States. I will absolutely and, second that. And, you know, that. we know, yeah, <laughs> so, like, we know that there's just a lot of injuries um, on the water, you know, that are caused by the G-shock and the force and, you know, neck and spine injuries. And the guys that are, you know, really uh, in the sport are, um, you know, they're experiencing some real stresses. And, and the thing about that is, is that it's not just them, it's their equipment that is getting subjected to these stresses also. You know, and I've talked to a lot of tournament fishermen that tell me that their batteries are not lasting the season. And uh, to this day, I can't find a single one of them that uh, knows exactly why that is. And um, the reason that their batteries are failing is because they just can't handle the G-shock that they're subjected to. I mean, imagine how rough a ride you'd have if you didn't have any suspension under your, your, you know, your truck and you didn't have any rubber tires. Well, that's that's kind of what your batteries are being subjected to. And so um, at least you, as a driver, have padding under your seat, but we've probably all been that guy that's had to ride on the deck across the lake uh, without a seat under us and just experience the real forces that uh, 
all the structural components in your pocket batteries and your motors and everything uh, actually experience without any kind of padding. You know, and people don't know this, but it's really common for a battery to experience AP of force. And that's eight times the force of gravity. So what that really means is that a 75-pound battery weighs 600 pounds for a fraction of a second. You know, and if you Google what the inside of a lead-acid battery looks like mechanically, you'll see these little lead strips in there, and you ask yourself whether, you know, just how long those little lead strips can stand up to 600 pounds of force. And, and the answer is that they just don't. And um, so, you know, the battery guard is the solution. It's a suspension system for your battery. Well, Tom, I know you're an avid angler, which is how you came up with the idea. And I'll also go back and, and kind of take that a step further. It's really why we got away from steel wheels on a tractor or a, the horse and carriage. I mean, certainly things have came a long way, and you're certainly bringing that to the marine industry, specifically with the boats and the batteries. And, and like you speak of, a lot of times we're not just running one battery. We're running often four batteries that are the larger Group 31 size. Does this also apply to the larger batteries as well? Do you have a size that fits the Group 31s as well? Yeah, the uh, tray size, uh, the pad size fits every single uh, common battery. And so uh, when you get a smaller battery, what you do is you just trim it down in size. And so basically it has a grid pattern on it and the material is an elastomer and so it cuts quite nicely with a good pair of scissors. And so you lay it in there and you can actually eyeball it and uh, then just cut it with a scissor so it fits in there firmly. Tom, the product you mentioned earlier reduces G-Shock. Can you explain G-Shock and the science behind and the idea really where it evolved to the battery guard we know of introduced today? Yeah, so G-Shock is really the force of gravity. Like where we're sitting right now, you, the three of us, you know, we're all experiencing 1G. And um, so when you experience 2G, you feel twice as heavy as normal. And a lot of batteries, the problem is a lot of batteries today aren't even G-rated, and many are only rated to absorb 3.5G. So when a battery is subjected to 8G, it's way, way over its operating tolerance. And so the first thing you need to understand about G-force is that it's going to be applied from three different directions. It's not just vertical. And, and for the purpose of this conversation, I would tell you that uh, let's use the Z-axis as the vertical axis. And so if you were to drop a battery straight down, that would be vertical force, kind of like when you stand up and you feel the pressure on the bottom of your feet. But other forces that the battery experiences are in the X and Y axis. And so the X axis is forward, backwards, and the Y is left and right. And so the battery experiences oscillations in G-force from all three directions. And so basically, when I came up with this pad, I knew that I needed to test it. And so what I did is I used a set of um, Bluetooth accelerometers. And then I built a uh, test stand that developed AG in the Z-axis. And so when I dropped the battery, I could record AG. And then I had a stable uh, platform to base my data on. And so at that point, then I slid the pad underneath of the battery and I performed the same test where I did an AG drop. And I, <laughs> I really had some head scratching because I, I just couldn't believe that the data was correct. So when I just did it numerous times and I kept coming up with really, really similar results, but sometimes I would get a bolt in the X or the Y axis and then, uh, but the Z axis seemed to be really dampened. Um, and so then I realized that if I added the spikes of energy in X, Y, and Z together, 
And then I divided it by the length of time that the elastomer had to absorb the energy. Then I could account for the full AG of energy being absorbed by the pad. And so then I understood exactly how it was working. And it actually was way, way above my expectations. I was hoping that the performance data on the pad would absorb half of the shock. And so I was really stunned. I remember calling Megaware, talking to David Knight, telling him, I said, look, I can't even believe how well it actually works because David was pushing me to do the actual testing on it. So um, that's a little bit of a story that I, I was so pleasantly surprised by it. stunned, And I just kept rerunning the test until I was confident that it was right. But it really does not uh, to 80% of the shock. Well, Tom, uh, two things. One is you just made me realize why I should have paid a lot more attention in trig and calculus, for one. Um, <laughs> but the data obviously speaks for itself. Uh, it, it really does. And I know practical use, you being an angler, you've also done the testing on the water. Can you talk just very, very briefly about kind of the longevity that you've added to the equipment? Because like you mentioned at the very beginning, batteries are a major component of everything that we do do on the water now, and the cost of them are not cheap, especially when you add that times four. You know, and even worse than the money uh, issue and replacing issue is that you lose time fishing. And so it's not like you can fool around with batteries. They have to work 100% all the time, or you're just on the game. And uh, so uh, anyway, basically, with my pad that I put underneath of there, I used to replace my batteries about every two years. Um, I'm not nearly as rowdy as a lot of the guys that uh, are out there on the lake that are really, really chasing the buck, and they're on the bite, and they have to get to the next spot regardless of the of the water conditions. And so those guys, those are the ones that, uh, and I know a lot of those on Lake of the Ozarks, those guys are really pretty destructive on their equipment. And uh, so anyway, when I did, uh, when I put those under my batteries, this, this thing's been, I, I came up with this 10 years ago. And so when I when I made the very first ones, I split them under my batteries, and I had to laugh, you know, because they kind of jiggle like they're sitting on a gob of jello, which is exactly what they are, you know. They just don't. They, they're just isolated from the shock uh, of the boat. So, and you know, when I took the thing to Megaware and I pulled the pad out and I showed them the pad, those pads were ten years old. They had no marks on them, and they're completely resilient. The battery acid doesn't affect them, and water doesn't affect them, and oil doesn't affect them. And so it's kind of one thing is really cool about them is it's a one-time buy. And I think that's a real advantage. And so, you know, batteries, they have a cycle, you know, set of life cycles, and a lot of them will cycle up to 400 times. And so for me, you know, I've replaced my trolling motor batteries. I have a 24-volt system, not a 36. Um, and so I've replaced my batteries two times in 10 years as opposed to, you know, what I was in prior, which was about every other year. And uh, so they've been lasting. And the funny thing about that is, is I've never replaced my starting battery in 10 years. Wow. And I just, yeah, I mean, it just blows me how well it works, but all you have to do is just stop what's damaging the battery, and then the battery can function just like, you know, like it does in a car. It's just not, uh, you know, getting pounded. Yeah, well, certainly we're all very familiar with the standard that Megaware sets before they bring a product to the market because they want it uh, both functional, uh, economical, and also one that is going to last. And, and I know just the research and development that you and the rest of the Megaware team of Dave and Tori and Ryan and Guy and everybody there, uh, it's, it's 
been quite impressive to see this fully come about that Kurt and I have been able to watch this incubate. Um, give us real quick, what will the investment run for a consumer to uh, have this important boating accessory? Well, I was a little bit shocked. I have to tell you, uh, when I first took this to David, I, you know, he had a target in mind of where he wanted it to come out at. I just didn't think we could get there. And the numbers that uh, were coming out to me were a lot higher. But David has, you know, he can put economies of scale together and make this work. And uh, David was able to get these down to $20 a piece, 1995. And I, I was just stunned. But it's just only because, you know, you know him. He's a total class act. I mean, the guy is uh, completely uh, systematic and methodical uh, in the way that he approaches it. And, and I remember when he, he flew in to see me, to meet me at, at our racial discussion, he had this list of like 107 things that he had to do to bring something to market. And he kept apologizing for the complexity of the process. And, and to me, I was completely pleased. I was reassured because I thought, man, I, there's somebody here that I'm working with that really knows what they're doing. He's not a beginner. And so, yeah, him and Tori and Ryan, you know, they've all just been, they do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. And I just love working with them. Well, guys, a couple of key points here. Easy to install for the consumer. Price point, unbelievably inexpensive when you look at the money you're going to save over time to, you know, I, I run a 36-volt system with a starter. So to purchase four of these and a battery of mine costs about 250 bucks. <laughs> so I purchase one of these and I install it. And, you know, if I save one battery over one year, I've already paid for them. And, and we're looking at, you know, where the shock is and, and the depletion of vibration and battery damage. I mean, my batteries are going to last for so much longer as we've already seen in these tests. And not to just mention boats, but, you know, I look at this in my camper. I look at this in, you know, ATVs, tractors, heavy equipment, trailers. There's so many examples of where this battery guard can be placed in the industry with things that that take a vibration and we can just you know ultimately save money long term by a small investment here today yeah you're totally dead on with that whole thing that's exactly right and that's where you know that's one thing that's kind of cool is that you know there's a lot of stuff out there that's kind of neat but it doesn't really do that much this thing it works and uh you know i'm 100 percent committed to it. And I just, you know, I love to talk about it and, and uh, I love to help people. Uh, and, you know, mostly, and for me, I think it allows me to spend more money on megabats than it does on my batteries. And I just <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people like that. Tom, I want to thank you for taking time with us today, sharing your story and the development of the new MegaWare product, battery guard. Um, I'll definitely be showing off mine to Bass Edge Nation, using them as a no-brainer for any battery's longevity. Aaron, I know you're excited. You've got a few that you're ready to put into your equipment. What do you think about long-term Tom's thought process, MegaWare's implementation of this awesome new product? No-brainer to me, and certainly beyond just my bass boat, the things that you guys have already mentioned, they're already going in my vehicles. I've got a tractor, UTV, all of those things are definitely applicable because what we know, vibration is not good on battery life. So, Tom, like Kurt said, thanks really for sharing this with all of Bass Edge Nation, with MegaWare to bring it to market so that all of us can be better out there on the water and have more time to uh, more or less do what we love. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Y'all hang in there. Aaron and I will return with the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight after this short break. 
I'm professional angler Bradley Roy. I am FLW2 Pro Wade Strelick. I am professional angler Marty Robinson. I am Farm to Feet Pro Angler Andy Montgomery. I'm BASS Elite Angler Alton Jones Jr. I'm Dave Wolak, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kurt. Know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Well, Aaron, I am stoked about today's interview, like I am with many interviews, but we've got a first timer right now on Bass Edge Radio. I'm excited to introduce to our listeners an up-and-comer. If you haven't already noticed, guys, you're probably not paying close enough attention to the FLW Tour and Pro Circuit the last couple years. Happy to have with us FLW Pro Matt Becker. Thanks for taking time to be on the program, Matt. Oh, thanks again for having me. You know, anytime I can get out here and talk fishing with you guys, it's a blessing. So I appreciate the offer to come on the show and talk with you guys. Well, Matt, I have to say you know Kurt and I do a lot of prep for the show in advance and it's not too often that when I ask him okay are there other things to know anything that uh, beyond my own research but anytime that he comes out and makes the introduction that Matt is catching the crap out of them that pretty much (laughs) sums it up so uh, hey we are glad to have you on the show you know anxious to hear where your skills generated from because Finleyville Pennsylvania Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not exactly my thought for the hotbed of becoming a pro bass angler. You know, you started off in the FLW competition basically in 2016, and it's been pretty much just rolling, kicking butt, and taking names from there. Yeah, you know, Finleyville is uh, just outside of Pittsburgh, so there isn't a whole lot to fish around Pittsburgh. You know, we got the three rivers there, and uh, there's been a few major events there, and uh, they've all been some of the worst ever. (laughs) So the the fishing's extremely tough around that area, and uh, I feel like that actually helps me, you know, because I grew up fishing that in tough conditions, and it basically taught me to always, you know, downsize my baits and and do whatever it takes to catch a limit. And uh, that seems to help me other parts of the country. Now, as far as that, I was was doing a lot of traveling, you know, regionally after I started getting into uh, bigger events and whatnot. You know, I was traveling to New York and Potomac River and and that kind of stuff just to uh, basically widen my game a little bit. But yeah, as far as Finleyville, Pennsylvania, man, there's not much to do around there. So were you actually able to attend the the cups that took place there and the the classic that was on the Three Rivers back in the day? I was at both of them, absolutely. Very cool. So you're watching these guys fish, you know, what you got up there, the Monongahela, Allegheny, and then those funnel into the Ohio River. So those are your grown-up stomping grounds. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I grew up and uh, still live about five minutes from a ramp on the Monongahela River. So any day I need to go down and test a bait or go fishing or whatever, I can be on the river in, in less than five minutes. So 
Yeah, that's my uh, stomping ground. That is so awesome. You know, like Aaron said, you know, not necessarily a hotbed, but uh, just goes to show whatever you've got. And when you've got a passion for bass fishing, you can make it work. You know, that's so that that's totally awesome. Matt, you recently came off a top five finish at Lake Martin, you know, a two pronged approach basically with spots and largemouth. How did you decipher a pattern for each during your practice period? Uh, yeah, we showed up and the weather was nice. So I kind of figured there'd be some spawning activity going on, but I knew there wasn't a huge largemouth population. So I wanted to kind of mix in both. Um, I started fishing around for spotted bass and I was able to figure out a little pattern for pre-spawn and spawning spotted bass out on some long points and shoals and uh, even on some docks as well. So that was actually my game plan. And then as the week developed, I just kept looking for, for spawning largemouth, and that kind of developed as the week went on, and I figured that out as the event went on and uh, was able to weigh in a mixed bag for a good finish. Well, Matt, let's dive off into that a little bit further. While you're looking for pre-spawn fish, what is your method to the madness, I guess, if you will? So I always like to start by deep water. You know, usually uh, fish is going to winter somewhere near deep water. So I'm going to start near deep water wherever it makes a sharp drop or uh, there's spawning grounds close by to deep water. That's going to be a great area to start, and there should always be some fish around that area. And then you can kind of dial it in from there if you get a couple bites. If you don't get any bites, you know, you can adjust accordingly. But I always like to start, say it's a long point with deep water touching it or docks with deep water close by, something like that, where there's deep water close by. That always seems to uh, be a good starting point. And does that generally associate with some sort of creek arm or further up the headwaters or more main lake? Um, well, that all depends on the fishery. You know, if we're using Lake Martin as an example, I did a little internet research and found out that there was one section of the lake or one creek arm down on the lower end of the lake that seemed to hold the better quality, just a little bit better average size fish. So that's where I focused. But generally speaking, it's going to be the same across the whole lake. Maybe, you know, way upriver will be different than way down by the dam or something. But generally speaking, it's going to be pretty similar across the lake. You know, one of the most difficult tasks for anglers is to keep moving with the fish. You, you mentioned that in your attack at Martin, how you were, you know, focusing on, on some pre-spawn fish. And then as the week developed, there were, there were some changes that you identified. You saw that you had to make to, you know, either stay on the fish or, or maybe even you know, just target some better quality fish that were easier to place as an angler and easier to catch. Do you have any rules that you try to follow or experiences you rely on to be sure you're not wasting your time, maybe fishing for bass that you found last week, but are gone this week? Yeah, that's one of the hardest things to explain to people. And I'm not sure that I have a rule or anything like that. I don't know. It almost seems like it comes naturally to me where it's just like, if you're not catching them or you know you're not going to do well in an event, that you got to switch things up and uh, try and stay on top of the fish or ahead of the fish. So I don't know if I necessarily have a rule, but I know if things aren't working well or I'm not succeeding in the event, I'm going to switch things up and try and find out where they moved to or, or what changed and uh, always try and be on the leading edge of those fish. A lot of times you have an angler that might be in a, you talked about being in a certain section of the lake, you know, based on some, some research, you know, taking like Martin FLW Pro Circuit event as, as a template here. 
and you moved, you know, within a, a smaller area, um, a lot of times you'll get anglers that are fishing a certain section of the lake and they decide to change and they go a long ways away from or a good distance away from where they're currently sitting. Do you think that that's important to move or stay? When I say that is is really kind of keep dialing in fish or trying to follow fish that you had previously found? Or do you feel like it's better for anglers to kind of move complete sections of the lake, you know, like say from mid lake to the river or or from down lake to mid lake or, or vice versa? What's your thought process there? Yeah, I mean, that depends probably on your knowledge of the fishery and uh, the size of the fish in the area. You know, like if we're using Lake Martin as an example, I uh, knew that some of the biggest quality fish, spotted bass and largemouth, were down towards the dam. So I didn't want to venture too far away from there because I knew in the back of my mind that those biggest fish are living down there. And uh, if you end up running away from them, you could end up targeting some smaller quality fish. Not to say there's not big fish further up the lake, but I just knew in my mind that the percentage of me catching a better quality fish was better down there. So I was trying to stay in those areas and just kind of figure out the fish in those areas rather than run the same pattern in a different area, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense, man. This is an interesting look at adjustments needed to stay on top of your game. Matt Becker certainly doing that. We're going to power pole down here, but return in a moment. Y'all stay with us. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with FLW Pro Angler Matt Becker in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right. Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products for oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Matt, diving in a little deeper, uh, we talked earlier in the program about some river fishing and and really your roots. What are some different scenarios you're looking for in river fishing during the spring to locate a good early season bass population? So river fishing is a little bit different than, you know, fishing your standard lake, whereas uh, a river bass uses current nonstop. So you're going to want to find some areas with a little bit less current. In the spring, you know, coming out of winter, they're going to be in their wintering holes and uh, they're going to kind of slowly work their way out of there into where they're going to spawn. So they're going to be in areas, you know, with a little bit less current. Maybe it's a current break with a point or an eddy, something like that. That's where you're going to find them in the spring, trying to get their feet on, eating some crayfish or some shad before they uh, go to spawning. And Matt, with that being said, I mean, for those that are river rats, I mean, this is like, they look at you like you have three heads when I ask this question, but for those perhaps that maybe spend most of their time in the, in the bigger waters of a tributary, what moves specifically are you, are you looking as you run up the river and you say, okay, they were here in practice, but now perhaps four days later when the event starts, now they're going to be here. Can you kind of outline where a person would start in making that transition and, and the moves that those bass make? 
Yeah, so a lot of times it all depends if the water's coming up or dropping in a river. If the current's staying the same, those fish usually aren't going to leave. You know, they're there for a reason to feed. Life is good. You know, they're sitting in their home. They got fresh water coming to them, good oxygen, and uh, food at the there's always going to be food. <laughs> yeah, there's right. always going to be food washing by. You know, the only time I've really seen fish like to move around a whole lot in rivers is uh, around the spawn, you know, so they can't spawn in the current. So they're going to move to an area that's a little bit out of the current, whether it be, you know, behind a point, an island, just a bend in the river where the current doesn't hit as hard. I've actually found it in Pittsburgh. So the majority of the population of bass live at the lock and dams above the buoys where we're not allowed to fish. But whenever those bass have to spawn, they have to come down below them buoys and you can catch the crap out of them. And the rest of the year, they live up above those buoys at the lock and dams where, where you cannot catch them. So that's what I found right around the spawn. Those fish move around a little bit and they move into catchable areas. And after that, you know, you may never see those fish again the rest of the year. One thing that I want wow. to elaborate a little bit further on is, is that you mentioned, and I think certainly with the time of year that we find ourselves in with generally rains, spring rains coming in and, and the potential for rising water, when you talk about if the water is staying constant, let's say if, if water is coming up, do you normally fish the original shoreline? Uh, and if so, for how long? And, you know, how does rising water play into that pre-spawn mode? They'll usually follow the water up on river systems, especially because there's going to be some current ripping and where they were sitting previously is going to be washed out by the current. So they're going to have to move up onto the bank and, and find something to hide behind, whether it's a lay down or rock pile or, or whatever it may be, but they're going to have to adjust with the rising water for sure. And uh, you as an angler is going to have to adjust as well. So you're still trying to just move back in and find some of those, you know, although they want to utilize the current, really just getting in some more, I say eddy type situations, but, but areas where you, you were talking about before where they're just happy currents rolling through, you know, good water conditions on his couch yeah 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 Yeah, exactly like that that's a lot like that i haven't been able to spend much time there lately but when i do it's quality time (laughs) okay matt hey let's talk about some crossover you know we started the interview talking about lake fishing you know specifically we were utilizing lake martin as an example but overall if we just take what fundamentals you find from river fishing for maybe some listeners that don't fish a lot of rivers and you cross that over into lake fishing during the spring of the year Specifically, like you targeted and noticed a movement at Lake Martin, when are bass moving to those shallow waters and off of those deep structure areas like you talked about for pre-spawn? What's going to trigger that and what helps you identify good areas that they're moving to? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the length of days. You know, you start getting into to March and the days are getting longer. Even if the temperature is not warm outside, but when that sun comes out, the sun is getting warmer. So a lot of that starts triggering fish to uh, start moving shallow. And uh, of course, you know, water temperature and whatnot trigger that as well. But a lot of it comes down to the length of days and the sunshine. So once that starts happening, you know there's going to be bass shallow. So you can start looking at the bank and uh, fishing some staging areas, whether it be secondary points or lead-in banks and start working down the sides of pockets with some laydowns and whatnot, looking for those fish that are, are moving to the back to some protected areas to spawn. Do you feel like water temps in a river system versus a lake system continue to run about the same when those bass move, or, or is there any differences between the two? 
No, so I've also noticed it seems that river systems, the water is going to stay a little cooler. So those fish are going to spawn generally a week or two later than in a river where there's not a whole lot of water moving through. Gotcha. So, you know, you could be in the same area of the country and uh, have a couple different stages of fish going on on different bodies of water. So it makes it a lot of fun. You know, if you're on a good bite in a lake, then you could head down to the river the next week and uh, be ahead of those fish and uh, keep catching them. Great, great point. Matt, we've dove off into kind of where to look, difference between rivers versus lakes. Now I want kind of the gospel according to Matt as far as selection. What are we going to, from a pre-spawn and then into a spawn, what are your top lure choices to target these fish that you speak of in the river uh, lake systems, both for pre-spawn and spawn? Yeah, so um, you want to keep a moving bait in your hand pre-spawn, whether it be a... uh, you know, jerk bait, spinner bait, crank bait, something like that, that uh, just mimics that food that they're trying to eat and bulk up before they go and spawn, whether it's crayfish or shad or whatever. So you're going to want to keep a moving bait in your hand until you uh, find a, a big group of fish. You know, if you keep those baits in your hand and just keep fishing, you'll get multiple bites in an area. And then once you do that, you're able to slow down. You can maybe drag a jig around or, or throw a, a soft jerk bait or something like that and uh, catch some more fish out of that area. But once you find that group, you'll you'll be able to follow them to wherever they're heading to spawn. And then you can transition to your, your standard spawning fish baits, whether it be a, a wacky rig, wobble head, uh, you know, shaky head, something like that whether you can see them or not and uh, drag through there and be able to catch some more once they begin to spawn. Well done. Yeah. I I like the fact that you like to uh, talk about really just concentrating on moving baits until you're finding a group of fish. Man, I I think that's so important. I think a lot of anglers get out there in the springtime and they just, you know, fish a little bit too slow in that pre-spawn mode. Just they end up catching one here and one there. Where in that pre-spawn section, you should really be targeting those groups of fish and finding a wad that's going to, you know, move into some spawning areas around because they should be grouped up that time of year. I think that's a great tip, Matt. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick listener question, man. This actually we're gonna go two of these uh, listener questions today. We've had some great feedback from uh, our listeners, and this segment of the show, obviously, as always, presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Wayne Solomon asked this question, Matt. We hope you can answer this for Wayne. Really a pointed question here. Wayne asks, water temp 47, heavy stain, visibility only a foot, conditions, winds blowing 15 to 25 out of the south. Dissecting all these scenarios, what baits do you choose and what do you do to catch bass? Oh, man, that's going to be a tough day of fishing there. You got (laughs) cold and muddy, muddy water, the wind's blowing. That's going to be a tough one. So first thing I would be doing is uh, finding an area protected from the wind because you're going to get beat to death trying to fish out in 15 to 25 mile an hour wind. So 47 degree water, the fish are going to be right on the, the verge of making that big push shallow. So I would start on maybe some secondary points or some lead in banks to a front third of a creek just leading in towards the back. And uh, bait-wise, those conditions just scream a big spinnerbait to me, whether it be a double willow or a Colorado with a big thumper on there. Uh, I'd put on big chartreuse and white, put a a grub on there, the trailer, get a big bait that's going to move a lot of water that they can find and track down in that dirty water and uh, hopefully catch a couple bass with it. 
Yeah, there you go. How important do you think that is with, you know, he, he talks about the heavy stain. You talk about the big bait. If you go across the plethora of lures, we can we can obviously choose for a scenario like this. How important is it that you go with a bigger size bait versus something a little bit more finesse? Because sometimes you think of, well, it's winter, you know, 47. They're maybe not feeding quite yet. They're kind of on that verge. So how do you choose one or the other? You talked about choosing the big bait. How important is that? And, and why? Why is it so important? Yeah, well, you know, visibility is one foot, so you, you need something that they're able to see and feel, and uh, you need that big blade stumping around or just a big profile bait that they can see and uh, find the food that they're looking for. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, good stuff. And Matt, uh, I want to throw another question at you, and since we're on the uh, topic of wind, Raymond Heise wants to know, let's say it is the end of April in Kansas at a smaller state fishing lake. You have a one-day tournament. What baits would you use to catch a fast limit? What is the weather at end of April in Kansas, by the way? We should have added that in there, Raymond. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I can't say I've ever made a cast in Kansas. So. Either. <laughs> but I figure end of April, pretty much anywhere in the country, unless you're way up north, there's going to be some bass shallow, whether pre-spawn, spawn, or just finish spawning. So I would probably start with either a weightless jerk bait, like a Zoom Super Fluke, or a uh, just a Yamamoto Senko 5-inch wacky rig. You're going to get bites pretty fast on either of those and uh, be able to fill out your limit. Good stuff. Well, Matt, uh, certainly through uh, made you double down today and taking two questions, but we appreciate you helping out the listeners. And Wayne and Raymond just want to remind both of you, we appreciate uh, for you sending in the questions to be answered by Matt here on the show. But there is one more thing that we need from each of you, and that is to let us know that you heard Matt answer both of your questions here on episode 326. And you can simply do that by logging on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize segment, fill out the information, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to your doorstep. And as always, Bass Edge listeners, keep throwing those questions into the show via our website, BassEdge.com. Just click on the Ask the Pros tab. Have a shot at winning another gift from Bass Edge Radio in the following months. You can also email us, support at BassEdge.com. Simply leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter media pages. Well, Matt, uh, it was certainly fun getting to know you better, and I am sure Bass Edge Nation will be watching closely as you continue your, I don't want to say world domination, but certainly domination on the FLW circuit. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any final closing thoughts uh, for our listeners? Hey, well, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, I hope this uh, this train keeps on rolling, you know, making good decisions and uh, fishing well at the moment. So uh, I don't want it to stop. I just want to keep on fishing and, and keep this thing rolling. So thanks again for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to me blab about fishing a little bit. And uh, we'll see you guys in in a few weeks yeah man it's always great to hear and i, I do got to give a quick shout out that uh, matt's got a great youtube page so make sure you look at matt becker fishing he puts a lot of tournament coverage up on his youtube page and and things that uh, we can all continue to learn from matt becker as he uh puts as aaron said the assault on the flw pro circuit this year so uh thanks matt we'll wait and see how 2020 continues and we wish you obviously the best of success bass edge nation hanging there Aaron and I will return in a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. 
grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Love the episode, Kurt. I know, uh, as we sometimes do, we went a little long over the normal, but I think that's okay because uh, I took away much from uh, the battery guard conversation and certainly with Matt Becker on adjustments. Yeah, adjustments. You know, the last two episodes been key on adjustments. Obviously, came out in the odd episode. If you haven't heard that, run back to episode 325. That's a good one, as well as this one talking to Matt Becker about adjustments as well and how fast things can move and progress in the springtime. Don't get caught up trying to catch yesterday's bass because they could be either one step behind or one step forward based on all the changing conditions during the springtime of the year. Super important to keep an open mind. And, um, you know, what? what's really interesting to me is over the last two episodes talking about spring pre-spawn and the transition to spawn the lures haven't changed a whole lot Aaron a lot of guys focusing on uh, specific lures they like to utilize during this time of year so that's good for our listeners you know they can really kind of dial in some of the suggested and then also mix in a little bit of their confidence baits to to uh, hopefully dissect the fishery quickly as as they uh, launch the boat. Yeah, for sure. And I compare that, Kurt, to, you know, our friends uh, in the kayak. They have a limited supply that they can take with them. You know, certainly not us that have, you know, our nitro and, and your ranger filled with uh, boxes and boxes of lures. Sometimes right. we, can, we can overcomplicate it, but uh, sometimes simplicity is the better way to go, I should say. But very interesting. I got a lot out of it. I appreciate uh, your efforts on getting our guests together today because I think they did a very, very good job. In the meantime, I want to encourage all Bass Edge listeners, uh, stay abreast with us on our social media. Please keep sending in those questions like we've asked for. We have been inundated with questions, but it's all good stuff. And as you know, if you're thinking it, chances are somebody else is too. So in the meantime, two weeks from now, May 1st, we will have episode 327 with another full lineup. See what uh, Kurt puts in store for us. And uh, we will look forward to having another in-depth discussion on all things bass fishing. Take care, everybody. We will see you May 1st. 
Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.